And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice, to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, Ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick, as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tale of the bricks, which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them. Ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let there be more work laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. And the taskmasters of the people went out, and their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye, get you straw where you can find it. Yet not aught of your work shall be diminished. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters hasted them, saying, Fulfill your works, your daily tasks, as when there was straw. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, Wherefore have ye not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today, as heretofore? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? There is no straw given unto thy servants. And they say to us, Make brick. And behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is in thine own people. But he said, Ye are idle, ye are idle. Therefore ye say, Let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. Now therefore go and work, for there shall no straw be given you, yet shall ye deliver the tale of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case. After it was said, Ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our Savior to be our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses returned unto the Lord, and he said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. 
And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it you for an heritage. I am the Lord. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. We take as our text the first two verses of chapter 5. And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we live in the midst of this world, we have a pretty good idea of how things should go. We enter into marriage with an idea of how marriage should be and how it should go. We go to school and we get comfortable with the routine, and we have an expectation of how things ought to go at school. At work, we get into an expectation of how things ought to go, and we expect things to go somewhat well, to be predictable. But things do not always go as we would expect. Things don't always go as we would predict. And as a result, often in Christian life, there are disappointments. There are struggles. It's easy to get discouraged, and it's easy to lose hope. We wonder what we did wrong. We wonder why God is pleased to send these hardships and these troubles in our lives. That's where we find Moses now here. In Genesis 5, Moses did everything that God told him to do. Moses went to Aaron. He got Aaron. He took Aaron with him and he went to the elders of the people. Moses had said to God, God, they're not going to listen to me. The elders aren't going to respond. Marvelously, God worked in the hearts of the elders. Receptivity. They listened to Moses and Aaron. They were appreciative of the wonders and the works that God had done through Moses and with his rod. And they responded and they said, no, we're we're on board. So that finally now, it had come to the point where the Israelites were ready and God had Moses ready. And now they could finally depart from the land of Egypt. But God has something else in store in these next chapters. Pharaoh hardens his heart, and God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Now Moses never expected the difficulties that he would confront with regard to Pharaoh. 
God had told him about it. Back in chapter 4, verse 21, God had warned him. And the Lord said to Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. But I will harden his heart, that he shall not let the people go. Moses now is in a situation where he's done everything that God commanded him to do, and now he has problems with Pharaoh. Now he has problems with the Israelites. He's in a situation now where everybody is turning on him. And the words that he states in prayer to God are striking, are they not? In verse 23, speaking, or in verse 22, why is it that thou hast sent me? Moses was initially ready, then he wasn't ready. Then God gave him all of the revelation that was necessary to bring him to the point to be assured that he was ready. And now, such discouragement. What is God doing? Something wonderful. Something wonderful that has application also to you and to me this evening. God is teaching us and God is teaching them, I am God alone. Pharaoh said, who is this Lord? Who is this God that I should obey him? And the response of God here is, I am Jehovah. That's a lesson we need to learn in our lives as well. We're not Lord of our lives. Jehovah is. But then there's this. Who is the troubler in Israel? Why is all this trouble taking place? And then what comfort is there for the ones who are being troubled? We look at that under the theme, let my people go. Noting, first of all, the opposition, secondly, the trouble, and finally, the lesson. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go, is the word of Pharaoh here in verse 2. Moses comes to Pharaoh, and Moses brings the request that God had given him to speak to Pharaoh. Let us go so that we can leave and worship for three days. This was the instruction God had clearly given in chapter 3, verse 18. Thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Some are critical here of Moses being deceptive. That Moses says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let us go for three days, when in reality, Moses' intention is that once they get away, they're going to escape and they're never going to come back. But that's not the case. Moses here is not asking Pharaoh to let them go for three days with the intention that they won't come back. Moses is simply telling Pharaoh precisely what God told him to tell Pharaoh. And should Pharaoh allow them to go for three days, then they would be prepared now to bring another added demand of Pharaoh. But why is it that God brings Moses with this simple demand to leave for three days to worship? It's so that God can demonstrate that Pharaoh's unbelief is irrational. God brings a very simple, basic request. Something that has to do with worship, just for a matter of a couple days. And Pharaoh denies even the most reasonable of demands. He sets the stage for an all-out war now against Jehovah God. Pharaoh asked them the wicked, but important question here of verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? 
This is the question that defines all of history. And it's the question that defines this history. This is the question that defines the whole of the conflict that takes place through all of the world. Who is God? And will you submit to God? And will you acknowledge that Jehovah, he is the God who directs your life? God uses this question to remind Moses, Israel, and us what is at stake in the history of the world. God is ruling all things, and God is sovereign over all. And what's at stake? The glory and honor of Jehovah God. The Exodus is about God. The Exodus is not about Moses. It's not about the Egyptians. It's not about Pharaoh. It's not about the Israelites. It's about Jehovah God and his power and his glory. This history is about Jehovah who alone is God. In order to testify to all, there is but one God. And there is none like unto that God. He alone is the holy, the righteous God. And God speaks, and through his speech, God sets forth the truth concerning himself to which we must submit and which we believe. The whole world and everything in it was created by Jehovah God. He formed it. He made it. Jehovah is the Lord of the whole universe. We like to use the beautiful name for him, the Lord of hosts, That is, he's directing the whole hosts of earth and heaven, all the animals, all the plants, everything that exists in the angelic and demonic world, everything is being governed and directed by Jehovah God in order to pursue his purpose and his plan. God is the God who reveals to his people the wonder of election, having chosen them from before the foundation of the world and revealing himself as a God who has determined that wonder of wonders to call to himself a people and to save them from their sins. God brings his commands as the sovereign God, and he demands that Pharaoh and all earthly leaders submit and obey. God owns his people. And notice how often through this history God says, let my people go. These are his people. These are the sheep of his pasture. He is the one who's bought them, who will pay for them through the blood of his own son. And he's the one who will see to their deliverance. And so he comes to Pharaoh, let my people go. These people are mine. They belong to me. That truth of God is set forth. And how does Pharaoh respond? Pharaoh responds with questions. Why? Pharaoh is insisting Jehovah's not God, I am God. Now Pharaoh knew from his look at the heavens that there was a God and that that God demanded the whole of his worship and praise. We know the firmament displays the glory of God. God's power is evident from the whole of creation as Romans 1 and Romans 2 acknowledge. And Romans 1 and 2 insist that all men know that there's a God who must be worshipped and praised. But in the hardness of his heart, Pharaoh said, I'm going to reject that God. I want nothing to do with Jehovah. He's proud, and he's determined. He is sovereign over his own life, and he is the one who will not listen then to anyone else. This is the inherent pride that exists within men and women. 
Every man, woman, and child that's ever lived has this pride within them. I will do what I want to do. Don't you tell me what to do. And I'm not going to submit to the authority that Jehovah God puts in my life. Moses and Aaron don't come pleading. They don't come begging or offering or suggesting. Moses and Aaron come with authority before Pharaoh. And they command, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, why? Who is the one behind you? By whose authority do you speak? And Moses and Aaron say, the God of heaven and earth is the one in whose name we come with that authority. Again, men, women, children defy God's authority. The more they learn about God, the more rebellious they become. The more Pharaoh saw the hand of God, his might, his terrible plagues and wonders, the more rebellious he became and the harder his heart became. He would do everything in his power to exalt himself above God and above the power of God. Only God's grace is able to break such pride. And for Pharaoh, no such grace existed. Now Pharaoh was viewed even by the Egyptians as a god. The Egyptians viewed their pharaohs as those who were worthy of their worship and their praise. As one not answerable to anyone else. And the arrogance is such that Pharaoh is such. He won't listen. He's not going to answer to anyone else. He's a picture. He's a type here of the devil. And the devil's influence over all worldly leaders. They will not acknowledge that God is the one that put them in their place. That God is the one that calls them now to faithfulness. And the one who calls them to do what he appointed them to do. Instead, what is their response? Who is this one? Who is this one who allows his people to languish under my control? You say that he's God? Well, where is he? Where's his might? Where's his power? I've got his people under my control. They're serving me right now. What has he done for you? That's the pride with which Pharaoh here speaks. I am God. I am Lord. The Pharaohs even were considered to be the sons of the sun god. And as such, this is how proud some of the pharaohs were. They believed that they were the ones, actually, that were responsible for the sun coming up in the morning. History said that some of the pharaohs would rise up and they believed that the sun would follow them, that they controlled the rising of the sun. One pharaoh even claimed, I am that which was and is and should be. No man has lifted my veil or discovered my being. Pharaoh boldly here is saying, I don't know or care about God. I will do whatever I want. I own Israel, they're mine, and I'm going to treat them however I desire. And Satan is using Pharaoh here as a tool in his hand to try to bring about the downfall of God's people. Satan continues to try to use men and women to bring about the undermining of God's will, to see to it that Jesus won't come and that Jesus will not return. The devil takes hold of the hearts of men and women. He hardens them. And he works in them the same response. God? Who is God? Follow after God's will? I'll do what I want to do. I'm not subject to anyone else. I'll pursue my own way and my own will. And so wicked rulers rise up over against Jehovah. 
and we'll sing a versification of Psalm 2 in a bit. The heathen rage. They imagine a vain thing, but God is in the heavens. He holds it all in derision. The ultimate purpose here is that God be glorified. And God will see to it that that wonder will be accomplished despite and even in the way of Pharaoh. Moses now finds himself in trouble. We look secondly at that. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. There's a presentation here of the truth of God and God's demand to Pharaoh, which marks the beginning of the Exodus. Moses speaks the truth. He sets before Pharaoh what is to be done, and he exposes the pride and the vanity of Pharaoh's heart. And what's the result? Trouble. Trouble for the Israelites. Pharaoh makes their work more impossible. And we read that. The children are aware of that. He took away their straw. They needed straw to make the bricks. And so now what ends up happening? He says, no, you still have to find the straw without it being given to you. And then on top of that, you still need to make the same amount of bricks as you always were making before. There's no way the Israelites could do that. And then when they didn't do that, what happened? They got beat. No doubt some were being killed. Pharaoh was ruthless. The taskmasters didn't care. So people died. So be it. There's more that will do the work. He demands of them that which they can't do. And anyone can understand this is unreasonable. This is not sustainable. This is cruel. The Israelites go to Pharaoh and they plead their case with Pharaoh. But Pharaoh will not back off. He undermines the word of Moses. And to the officers now, he pits Moses against them. He says, but Moses just came to me and asked for you to go. Obviously, you have time. You must be lazy. You're sitting around. Work harder. And the result now is their cries to Pharaoh are not heard. Verse 15, he dismisses them. Pharaoh directs them to Moses and Aaron. And so what happens? The leaders of Israel now turn on Moses and Aaron. What have you done to us? You're the ones now that are the reasons for all these troubles. Verse 21. And they said to them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because you have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. The leaders say, Moses and Aaron, you're going to be judged for this. Look what you did to us. Moses does the only thing that he can do. He cries out to God in prayer. Verses 22 and 23, Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. Moses is defeated. He's rejected by his own. He's isolated now. And he does the only thing he can do. He cries out to God in prayer. God reminds us, and God reminds his people, who is the troubler in Israel? It's God. Who is the one troubling the world? Christ Jesus. It is he. Moses is a picture of Jesus Christ, the type of Christ. Now it's true, the devil is the one who's sowing sin. He's the one that's 
working that evil in the midst of the world. But who is the one sovereign over it all? Jehovah God. Jehovah God is sovereign over all that's taking place in the world around. The seniors and juniors in catechism have been tracing the ministry of Jesus. And as we've done it, we've noted this. What happens almost everywhere Jesus goes? There's trouble. Jesus brought trouble when he came to minister to the people. He does miracles. He does heal, healing. And the scribes and the Pharisees are moved against him. Jesus declares, I'm the Messiah. And they try to kill him and run him out of the synagogue. The word of God comes through Jesus. And the result is that. Men mock. Men reject it. They want nothing to do with it. Wicked men will not hear or listen to God. In the Babylon of this world, they stop their ears. They don't want to hear the word of God. Inspired by the devil, they say, who is God? Who is this one whom we would submit to? The devil tries to work that response also in the hearts of God's children. We hear God's word. We hear God's commands. And we rebel. We pursue our own way. We pursue our own will. We pretend we don't know God. We don't know his word. And God has to work in our hearts by his spirit to prick us and to drive us to repentance and to drive us to confess our sin. God is the one troubling Israel. And God is doing so according to his perfect counsel and perfect plan. And God is represented here in his church. The word of God is proclaimed through the church, through the preaching and teaching of the church. And what's the result? The world is moved to hatred toward the church. Moses spoke the word of God before the world, and the world responded with anger and hatred. The church is tempted then to back off, make her message less offensive, try to make it more plain so that there won't be such a tremendous response. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be the one who's mocked and ridiculed for standing for what is right and for demanding the truth and requiring repentance for sin. So what is the result? The church starts changing the message. Salvation is no longer set forth as salvation from sin for sinners. Sin is tolerated. Sin is justified. Sin is allowed. With boldness, the church is to set forth the word of God. Let my people go. That's the word that reverberates throughout history. That's the word of Jehovah God to the wicked rulers. Let my people go. We will worship God in the manner that Jehovah God has ordained. And in response to that demand, what happens? The devil roars. The devil hates the church. He raises up leaders who will oppress and oppose that demand, who will try to put down the worship of the church of Jesus Christ. And the church becomes the object of persecution and oppression. We know this is God's will. And we know that Jehovah God is the one working all things so that the cup of iniquity is filled. And that's what God is doing here. Moses is ready. Israel is ready. But Egypt isn't ready. The cup of iniquity needs to be filled in order that God's just judgments come upon the wicked. God says to you and to me the words of chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. 
And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. God comes to his church and God says, press on. And he directs us to the one who alone is our helper, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came in the place of sinful men to atone for their sin. Jesus stands in the place of those who are in bondage. And he calls them to himself. Come unto me. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Israel is brought to this knowledge We need to come to God. We need to go to God. We need to bring our sacrifice. We need to bring our worship to Jehovah God. And we bring those sacrifices as a picture of our need for the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. We come to Christ confessing with joy that he is my Lord and my God. Jesus came to the Pharisees and he said, let my people go. And the Pharisees said, no, we're not going to allow that. Jesus comes to the self-righteous leaders and he says, let my people go. And they said, no. They were holding men and women in bondage to man-made rules. When he healed those who were sinners and when he healed those who were sick, Jesus was calling men and women to repentance. And his message was, let my people go. And then finally, he died on the cross And through his death, he testified to the wonder of the purpose for which he had come. He said, I mean it. My people are freed. My people are delivered. I am the one who came to accomplish that deliverance for mine own. Though the world stood against, though the world opposed at every front, the troubler of the world is the savior of his people. Jehovah's perfect plan realized through the wonder of of the cross. Beloved, what a God. What a God we have. He comes to us in love and he assures us of the freedom that is ours in him. I have freed you. I have let you go. I gave my own son in your place. You who were in bondage to sin, you're mine and you're free. I declare you righteous in Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, sometimes we think I've sinned so greatly. I've sinned so much that there's no possibility that I can be within the grace of God. God says, no, I've delivered you. I've freed you. You're forgiven. Just look at Israel. They sinned again and again. They rejected God. They turned their backs on the one that loved them. And God demonstrates his faithfulness here in this history. And especially in his response in chapter 6 there. I have remembered my covenant. Chapter, verse 5. What a beautiful truth. I have remembered my covenant. God doesn't forget. And what a wondrous that God's covenant is his work. His covenant isn't conditional upon anything of us. If it were, we would be doomed. Israel would be doomed. God established it. God is the one who preserves it. God is the one who accomplished it. 
And he's the one who will maintain it in our lives despite our unfaithfulness. Moses is so troubled in all of this that he even blames God. He turns against God. Why is it that thou hast sent me? And beloved, we're the same, aren't we? Trouble takes place in our lives. Things aren't going the way that we would desire them to go. We throw our hands up in despair. We begin to blame God. But then we have to ask ourselves, do you really expect better? Do you deserve better? What do you deserve? You and I deserve hell. We don't deserve anything. So quickly we can begin to feel entitled. Like I deserve this or I deserve that. God says no. Who are you to object to the almighty God of heaven and earth who is directing everything according to his perfect plan and who works the faith in your hearts to believe it's all for your good and for my glory. God directs us to the wonder of his grace. He directs us to Christ. Jesus is the troubler. He came to set forth the truth, to expose the lie. He divided as well as united. And he shines his light in the midst of this world and he exposes the darkness. The church comes and the church declares God's word to the world. We must worship. Worship isn't an option. It's demanded. And wherever God gives us an open door, we are going to promote God. We're going to promote the glory of God, and we're going to promote his worship and the truth of the gospel. And we expect trouble. That's going to cause trouble. The truth troubles the wicked, but we persevere by God's grace. Rulers may rise up. They may try to stop us from worshiping. The church that is faithful is going to be persecuted because she stands with her God and with his Son. It's not just because we desire to be different and want to grind axes and be troublemakers. Sometimes that can happen in the pride of men. Men and women stir up trouble for their own wicked motives. But beloved, motivated by the love of God and the glory of God, we insist the church must worship her God. That's the demand that God gave to Moses and Aaron and the demand that came to Pharaoh. And that truth comes with heartaches. We bring the rebukes in love, in kindness. Like the prophets of old, we bring the word. We expose sin. And God calls us to proclaim, let my people go. God will glorify himself through the outcome. But what is God doing here in this history? God is working sanctification in the heart and life of Moses and the Israelites. Moses thought he was ready. But now God comes to Moses in essence and says, No, Moses, there's still further work that needs to be done yet. What is it that Moses needed to learn? Moses needed to learn God is in complete control and I need to trust him. And beloved, that's what you and I, every single day, need to learn. God is in complete control and we have to trust God and his faithfulness. God comes to Moses and God says, Moses, Pharaoh is going to let the people go. I am still God. I am the God of my covenant. And we have beautifully expressed here in chapter 6, those first verses, God's reaffirmation of everything that he's told Moses multiple times. One could expect that God would become angry and frustrated with Moses. God tenderly 
lovingly pulls Moses to his side. side. And God now reaffirms to Moses the words of promise. I am still God. I am the covenant-keeping God. I am faithful. I will bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I will bring them into the promised land as my people. And Moses, just keep repeating that to Pharaoh. You need to go to Pharaoh with that same message. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. I assure you, it will happen. Moses is experiencing trouble, but there's truth for him. And again, Moses bows before God. He prays the prayer that we've reiterated in verses 22 and 23. We don't know how much time transpired here. There may have been days, weeks, maybe months in all of this. The whole project doesn't seem to be working from Moses' perspective. And Moses really is saying, God, don't you have a different plan? It's time for me to bow out here, perhaps. What is it that God is teaching Moses? Moses is a child of God, but he sins here, and he shows himself to be human. And this is what God is teaching Moses. Moses, you can't deliver the people, but I will. This is not your work. This is my work. Now God had already affirmed that to Moses. God had taught Moses humility. But God was making of Moses the meekest man that ever lived, apart from Jesus Christ. And God patiently, again, takes Moses in close and reminds Moses of everything that God has said. Moses has a problem with God's rule, God's plan, in light of God's promises. God's promises have been reiterated that God will save his people, he'll deliver his people. But God's providence doesn't seem to be in line with his promise. Doesn't that sound familiar, beloved? God's promises don't seem to be in line with God's providence in my life. And there seems to be a conflict, and we struggle with that. How is it that God makes all these promises... But then, this is the reality now that I have to experience. Sickness, troubles come in our life. And we wrestle with this. I'm doing what God expects me to do. I'm walking humbly and faithfully before God. Why is it then that things are not going well for me? I'm doing everything that God requires. Again, Moses was doing everything that God required of him to do. And yet it wasn't working out. Why is it that things drag out so long? Why is it that things don't come to pass as quickly as God has promised? Patience is not a strong suit for us, is it? But we need to learn. And in our pride, tragically, pride's the only thing that comes easy for us. But God is a God of sanctification. He's a God of salvation. And he sanctifies through chastisement. Those whom he loves, he chastises, he purifies, he purges. And that's what God is doing here, even now with Moses and with Israel. And that's what God does with us. As children, you know that your parents are not going to allow you to get by with everything. They correct you. They lovingly pull you to themselves and they remind you of the rules and the promises, and they discipline you in love. 
as young people. Our temptation is to rebel, to fight, to pursue our own will instead. Without that loving correction, we would go our own way. We would go the way of destruction. God teaches us repeatedly, my way is not easy. But my way is the only way. And my way is always good. And God holds all the leaders in the world in his hands. He's working everything together in the whole of the world for the good of his church and for the glory of his name. He's the one who holds President Biden. He holds all of our leaders in his hands for the sake of those who are the objects of his love. And he promises all of it will work out. I am delivering you and I will bring you out and I will bring you into the fullness of the glory that awaits the new heavenly Canaan. Again, beloved, what a God. Moses is broken. Moses is now in the midst of the battle and he realizes there's no hope. Nothing that he said had any power. Pharaoh is hard as a rock. Now the people are all rebelling against him. And God comes to Moses with the glorious message of the gospel. I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Verse 7. Our only hope, beloved, is in the wonder of the gospel. Jesus Christ was troubled in every way like as we, yet without sin. And Jesus is the one to whom we are drawn. The one whose soul was sorrowful unto death is the one who draws us to himself in comfort and in love. And he assures us, my promises are true. My promises are real. And all things will work together for good. He who died teaches us to die to self. The conflict in Israel is about the God who takes trouble and makes it serve his perfect purpose. He uses the great troubler, the devil, to perfect his work of salvation. He saves his church through judgments. And he gives us Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen and exalted Savior, through whom we have the victory. What a comfort, beloved, for us in our own lives. What a comfort for us as a church of Jesus Christ. As we proclaim the message of the gospel, there will be trouble. In this world, we will have trouble. Jesus assured us of that. As we seek to live the Christian life, and as we seek to pursue God's will, there's going to be difficulties. Because our God is in heaven, ruling all things, and working by his Spirit, sanctification in our hearts and in our lives. So that the God of Israel, is the God of the Exodus. The God that not only commands, but the God that accomplishes worship in their hearts. Beloved, we rejoice in this wonder. We have been set free. And as those set free, what will we do? Worship. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank and praise thee for the wonder of thy might, thy power, thy majesty, and thy work of grace in the hearts of thy children. 
Thou hast delivered us from the bondage of sin. We have been set free through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And our delight is to worship, to show forth thy praise, to live in adoration of thee, the God of our salvation. We pray this for his sake. Amen.